Hello, friends. Dave Bjork here, lung cancer survivor, patient advocate, and yes, I'm the research evangelist. And welcome to the Research Evangelist podcast. And I'm coming to you, as always, from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And you know, the, the Greek meaning of evangelist is bringing the good news. And I like to think I'm bringing the good news uh, in cancer research and care by interviewing people in life sciences that are doing amazing work. I call them brilliant but not famous. And well, the not famous part is ironic because they're all well-known and respected in their field by their peers and uh, the communities that they serve, but my next-door neighbor might not recognize their name. So, uh, But they really are brilliant and committed to their work, and I love meeting these amazing people and sharing a little about them and the work that they're doing and things that they're passionate about, and I also believe in serendipity. So I hope that some positive things come from sharing the stories with all of you and to the universe. So today I'm super excited uh, to have on the program Dr. Mark uh, Matrana, and Dr. Matrana is the uh, Director of uh, Precision Cancer Therapies Research Program, Endowed Professor of Experimental Therapeutics and Associate Director of Clinical Cancer Research at the Ochsner Cancer Institute. Mark is a ninth-generation native of New Orleans region. He received his bachelor's and master's degrees in human genetics from Tulane University, uh, he received his medical degree from LSU uh, School of Medicine in New Orleans, and he completed his internship and residency in internal medicine at Oxner Medical Center, where he served as chief medical resident. He completed his training in hematology and medical oncology at MD Cancer, uh, excuse me, MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Uh, and Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Awesome. It's really great to have you. And uh, I'd like to start by having you tell us um, a little bit about yourself. And first of all, ninth generation. Uh, that's crazy to me to think back that many generations. So I'd love to have you tell us about, about that, but also, you know, tell us about the young uh, Mark Petrana. Oh, sure, sure. Well, uh, <laughs> as, as you mentioned, my family's been in South Louisiana for a long time. Uh, and it's, uh, it's uh, deep in our roots, uh, a, a large extended family here. In, uh, in New Orleans. And, and so when I finished my training in Houston, I knew I had to uh, had to return. I just had too many too many roots uh, uh, in this area. And as many people from this area, uh, you know, were uh, in love with the culture and it, it's tough to uh, tough to live anywhere else. So um, very proud of where I come from and, and, and proud to serve the people of this area. And so, as you mentioned, uh, finished my training at Anderson uh, about eight years ago, uh, eight and a half years ago now, and uh, uh, joined the faculty here at Ochsner uh, Health in New Orleans. Uh, and uh, a few years after joining, we started the phase one research program, the Ochsner Precision Cancer Therapies Program, and, and things have just uh, blossomed since then. So we run uh, phase one and early phase two clinical trials out of our program. We handle uh, genomics and, uh, and genetics. Uh, and sequencing in, uh, in cancer patients. Uh, and we do uh, a, a lot of clinical care uh, for cancer patients in this region as well. Unfortunately, Louisiana has a lot of cancer. Uh, we're an area that is um, uh, unfortunately uh, high uh, in terms of, of rates of cancer and also uh, outcomes in cancer are, um, are, 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 I would say, less than what we would prefer. Uh, less than some of our neighboring states, and so we're working hard uh, to change that and and to bring good news to the to the to the people of our region. 
Yeah, well, so so you know, you are definitely a true New Orleans native. That's for sure. You've got deep deep roots. How do they say that? Is it uh, is it a New Orleanian? Is that is that is that how I would say? New Orleanian. Yep, that's right. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, you know, it's I've heard you describe sort of the location of 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 New Orleans in terms of the type of care that you're providing, your institution's providing, and and like going six hours this direction to Houston or going six hours that direction to Birmingham. Can you kind of explain that to us? Who uh, Give us a geography lesson. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, when you think about uh, uh, the Gulf uh, South, the Gulf Coast, uh, there is um, uh, a, a, an area, particularly here, you know, where we're doing cancer research, where we're doing a lot of phase one clinical trials. Uh, but to the west and to the east of us, uh, even to the north, uh, you have to drive quite a ways to find uh, other centers that are, are doing what we're doing. And so uh, if you drive uh, west, you drive about six hours to get to MD Anderson. If you drive northeast, uh, you drive a, a similar distance um, to get to Birmingham, to get to UAB, uh, where they're doing similar research. And, there, and there's not much in between in terms of um, early phase clinical trials for cancer. And so we built our program really to serve a need because you know, our institution and our group, we, we, we realized uh, um, early on uh, that uh, uh, you know, a lot of our patients simply don't have the means to travel. Um, they don't have the uh, ability physically, um, the performance status necessarily uh, to make those types of trips um, or the social support needed to, to, to travel like that. And, and we really needed to bring those types of innovative therapies here to, to our uh to our uh, neighbors. And so uh, that's what we did. And, and uh, we haven't looked back since. That's awesome. And, you know, people do want to be treated close to home. They do. And, and, and I, you make a really good point about that distance to travel. You know, I'm, I'm blessed because I live in Boston and so, or near Boston. So for me, when, when I was sick and I had my care, you know, it's 20, you know, 20, 20 miles, you know, it's, yeah. and, and I'm lucky. I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I don't have any transportation issues or other barriers. I'm very privileged in that sense. And so you're providing a real service to the, to bring that level of, of, um, a world-class care, um, you know, closer to home. And I, again, I don't know the, the region as well. And you're the first guest I've had from Louisiana. So, so welcome to the, welcome to the program and bring your perspective. I really appreciate yeah. that. Thank so, you very much. Yeah. We like to tell, we like to tell people that, uh, you know, our program offers, offers new hope to, to a lot of patients that, that may not have much hope. And we also like to tell people that we are providing the medicines of tomorrow today. And so that, those are some of the guiding principles that we, uh, that we, we operate by every day. That's fantastic. So with all these generations uh, in your family in the area, did you, are, did you have other uh, doctors in the, in, the, in the family or did you always want to be a doctor? Or how did that come about? It's a good question. Um, believe it or not, uh, my family is involved in the food service industry. So uh, produce and, 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 and wholesale seafood. And so the majority of my family is uh, uh, involved in those businesses and other, and other business ventures. There, there are only two of us uh, who are doctors, myself and a younger cousin, uh, who's actually an allergist immunologist. Uh, and uh, I tell people we're the, the black sheep that didn't go into uh, food services. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But at a young age, um, I was very interested in science. Uh, I always knew um, I wanted to uh, be involved in in science, and I went to uh, went to college, and uh, I got very interested in human genetics. Got a master's degree in human genetics, and toyed with the idea of a PhD versus an MD. But realized, you know, I really liked 
the interaction with patients. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, so went the route of medical school, um, during medical school realized I really liked oncology for a number of reasons. Uh, I was driven to this field one, because, uh, it is moving so fast. I wanted a field that looked very different when I end my career than when I began and boy, oncology, uh, uh fits that bill uh, very well. I also wanted to be able to develop deep relationships with my patients, um, um, uh, and to see people, um, you know, on a, on a chronic basis, uh, more or less, you know, on a, on a regular basis. And so, again, oncology uh, definitely fits that bill. And I wanted something where I could use um, uh, genetics and genomics and, and really kind of the most cutting edge uh, technologies. And again, oncology fit that bill. And I also wanted to do outpatient medicine. When I thought about a doctor, I thought about my old primary care doctor when I was a kid who would go, you know, room to room to room in a clinic. And, uh, I wasn't um, uh, too keen on, on hospital work, and I really like kind of the outpatient setting, and oncology offers that uh, uh, lifestyle as well. Um, and I wanted to do something that would really make a big difference in people's lives. Um, and, and again, uh, it was perfect fit, uh, perfect fit in oncology. And so that kind of led me to this specialty, and, and kind of the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, you certainly did come in, in a, at a remarkable time. My cancer experience was 20 years ago, and I often talk with people on my show about, you know, when people were going into lung cancer, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, it was a much different landscape, you know, but many of them did train around that time. Uh, And now look at where they're at today. So, you know, you've been, you come in um, at a time when there's just rapidly changing. I, I, I don't even know how you guys keep up with with all of the all of the, the changes that are happening, how how do how do you, how is that even possible for a medical oncologists to, to to keep up with the things that are happening? You know, it's challenging sometimes. And when when I entered this profession, um, uh, you know, we we had more broader practices than we do now, even. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, I think more and more people are super subspecializing. You know, they're focusing on one or two disease states um, because uh, because the knowledge is coming at us so rapidly and it's impossible to keep up. When I started, I was actually rounding on our bone marrow transplant service. Today, eight years later, if you asked me to round on the bone marrow transplant service, I wouldn't be, you know, I would have no clue of where to begin with that. Uh, you know, and it's just because things change so, so rapidly. So, you know, one thing is just, is just kind of super subspecialization allows us um, to keep up and, uh, and, and not have to follow every little aspect of, of what's going on with uh, with other disease states. And then, uh, you know, a lot of reading, a lot of uh, uh, journal article uh, uh, reading and, and conferences. I think the conferences, attending the conferences and being present at those really, really helped today. Um, it's even easier than ever because of the virtual, um, uh, you know, conferences that are available. Uh, but, but it's funny because I'll often have patients come in. You know, they say, well, I don't want to have to go through the same thing my grandpa went through when he had cancer. And I'll say, well, when did your when did your grandfather have cancer? You know, oh, uh, uh, 1982. And I'll look at him and I said, well, well, you might as well have told me 1882 or 1782, uh, <laughs> because that's how different cancer care is uh, now compared to 1982. Uh, the, the other thing I think about, I, I explain patients, I say, if, if I took the board exams today um, that I took uh, eight and a half years ago, I would surely fail them because none of the answers would be the same, right? Yeah. Um, uh, absolutely, because they all—they all have changed now. You know, they all have changed, and so um, um, it's, it's a completely different specialty, and it reinvents itself um, every few years as these new uh, as these new breakthroughs come out. Which, um, as you mentioned, is, is, is terrific. It's a great time to be in this field. 
Yeah. And as a research evangelist, I'm so grateful for all the all the work. And, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way. You stand on the shoulders of those that came before you, Absolutely. you know, and, and then people will step on your shoulders, you know, uh, going forward. So yeah. it's one of the topics that I love to hear from people about. Uh, what the common thread I see with many of the people on my show is, is around mentorship. And I'm always I'm always curious and I'd love for you to share with us, you know, were there special people along the way in your in your training that really had a huge impact on you? Oh gosh, so many. Uh so so many. And 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 I couldn't name them all uh during during it would probably take me a week <laughs> to name, name, name them all, but but a few that come to mind in my internal medicine. Uh, training Dr. Richard uh, Dykeman uh, uh, was a great mentor of mine. And um, Dr. Dykeman was just a um, true gentleman in, in every way. And he was one of those people, you know, when you are confronted with an issue, you could you could ask yourself, what would Dr. Dykeman do? How would Dr. Dykeman uh, uh, approach this? And, and you can bet that he would approach it in a way um, that was that was thoughtful and professional and uh, and just truly gentle, gentlemanly and and, uh, and and so you know his impact was huge in my internal medicine training. When I look back at oncology training, uh, how could I could forget a Nazar Tanier, uh, Dr. Tanier at MD Anderson, uh, uh, was was a huge impact on on my career and a huge, a huge mentor and has been a great mentor for so many oncologists out there. You know, if you trained at Anderson, uh, everybody um, knew Dr. Tanier and, and sought his advice. He still practices at the genitourinary uh, cancer center uh, there, you know, at, at, at MD Anderson. And um, so much thoughtful advice. Um, I was able to connect with him and work in his clinic very early on in my fellowship. And, um, he is super passionate about everything he does, gave me such good direction, such good advice from day one said, hey, you know, let's set goals for you. Let's figure out how to, how to you know, get to those goals, whether it be in research or career development or what have you. And I just knew he was always somebody I could, uh, even to this day, call upon and uh, just ask for, for very thoughtful advice. And someone who is about as selfless of a person as... Um, you could possibly ask. It's funny because I have I, I share several patients with him now. Um, patients from New Orleans often um, go to Anderson for a second opinion or this sort of thing, and then we'll we'll share them back and forth, and it works out very nicely to, to tell you the truth because uh, I get to interact with my old colleagues and uh, and, and uh, teachers and mentors at Anderson. But anyway, I have one particular uh, patient who I share with Dr. Tanier, and that patient told me he said uh, he said you know. When I when I realized that Dr. Tanier was the real deal, and I said I said when, and he said I asked Dr. Tanier when he was going to retire, and he said his um, his response was, "I'll retire once we cure cancer." <laughs> and uh, I, I thought for a moment. I said that absolutely sounds like Dr. Tanier, and, and the patient was so uh, endeared to Dr. Tanier because of this. But I had to say, I looked at the patient and I said, "But I have to tell you." Uh, I love what I do. I plan to do it for a long time, but I absolutely want to retire one day <laughs> <laughs> before they cure cancer. Yeah, I, I hope that I hope they do it before I retire. But uh, but I think we got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we've made a lot of progress, and yeah, um, so I'd really like to have you tell us. You meant, you touched on it earlier about um, building the Precision Cancer Therapies Program. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd love for you know uh, 
maybe share, you know, whatever you'd like to share with us about, about, you know, what you're passionate about and what you guys are working on and, and what yeah. you're most excited about. Yeah, we're, do, we're doing a lot. And so, um, you know, when, when we, when we started the program, I'll give you a little bit of background. When we started the program, we realized early on um, that we didn't quite have the resources to get a, a true phase one research program off the ground as we would like it, uh, fully operational from scratch. And so we actually uh, partnered with um, TGEN, the Translational Genomics yeah. Research Institute out in Phoenix, uh, and, uh, and Dr. Dan Von Hoff, who's also been a terrific mentor for me and my colleagues here. And, uh, and early on, um, uh, uh, partnering with them was just phenomenal because they allowed us to go from zero to 60 in absolutely no time at all and stand up this program and get terrific trials and build our team and, and do everything that we needed to do to have a world-class program uh, uh, in absolutely no time. And, and since then, you know, we've opened over 150 uh, early phase clinical trials in uh, cancer. We have enrolled uh, over 400 patients in treatment trials. We've enrolled thousands of patients in, um, in uh, diagnostic trials, uh, NGS uh, sequencing trials, and um, uh, a trial looking at early detection of uh, pancreatic cancer and so on and so forth. We brought in millions of dollars of philanthropy for the program uh, and, and really having TGen kind of power that was, 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 was huge for us. And so, um, you know, uh, in, in addition to continuing that, because uh, we continue all of that, we've, we've since hired um, uh, several uh, doctors to help us uh, with this. Actually, uh, MD Anderson has provided a nice pipeline of uh, graduating fellows to, to join us, uh, uh, particularly folks who are from here who've gone there for training and are, and are coming back now. And, uh, and so we continue all of that, but we're really looking at um, precision medicine and genomics in a much broader sense. Uh, and some of the projects we've, we've uh, worked on uh, over the last year in a big way, we've hired a, um, a, a vice president of precision medicine to kind of be our, 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 our business IT uh, infrastructure work um, flow um, uh, leader, and, and that's worked out very, very well. Um, but one of the big projects we've worked on is pharmacogenomics. Um, so uh, actually um, testing patients uh, preemptively uh, prior to receiving therapies to know what dose of pain medicine is right for you, what blood thinner is going to uh, uh, work the best, uh, which antidepressant is going to have side effects. Um, we can take a uh, saliva sample or a sample of blood and within days um, have this uh, on any patient, on any patient, and at a very, very um, small cost, um, uh, just $100 or so. Um, and so, uh, you know, why this isn't more widespread across all of medicine is just um, um, perplexing to me, but, but I, I have no doubt that it will be in the coming years. So we've spent a lot of time um, integrating precision uh, uh, pharmacogenomics into our workflow, into our electronic medical record, hiring a huge team of uh, uh, pharmacogenomics pharmacists and training our pharmacists in pharmacogenomics. Um, and we now have like a website, a telephone number, an email address. Uh, we have uh, alerts in our electronic medical record. Um, when a patient has a drug gene uh, mismatch, if that makes sense, um, that the that the provider needs to be alerted to. So, so pharmacogenomics has been absolutely huge for us. Um, we are very excited about multi-cancer um, uh, uh, detection, blood-based detection. And so we have uh, several partnerships that we're working on right now to bring this very widely um, to the state of Louisiana and the people of Louisiana uh, so that we can do a blood test to detect cancer 
um, hopefully years before its symptoms develop, years before it might be caught by um, traditional means. Uh, and then, uh, although it's not cancer-related at this time, I think it's extremely important. Uh, one of the other things that we've been doing in precision medicine here is we have brought whole genome sequencing to our NICUs. And there was a project out in California. It was called Project Baby Bear, uh, uh, run by uh, Grady uh, uh, out there. And what they found, um, Grady, sorry, Grady, uh, out there was that... Uh, by taking these sickest NICU uh, babies that didn't have an obvious diagnosis, uh, they were able to um, provide whole rapid genome sequencing. In doing so, uh, the, uh, about 40% of the time or so, they were able to come up with a diagnosis they didn't have before. About a third of the time, they were actually able to intervene in some type of very meaningful way uh, in, these, in these children's lives. And they saved a ton of money uh, by doing this, because hospitalizations were cut in uh, were cut uh, in, in length, um, a lot of unnecessary testing was cut out, and so uh, we've actually started this year. Uh, it's early on in the year, but this year we've started uh, offering whole genome sequencing in our uh, in our NICUs, and so um, our work around that is uh, is is very meaningful to me and, and I'm very passionate about that too. So, so a lot of things happening kind of in the genomic genetic sphere, um, particularly um, I'd say for cancer patients, the early detection and the pharmacogenomics is um, uh, the ones I'm, I'm most excited about. That's awesome. And, and for my listeners, I could, uh, so I, it's important to me as well, when you mentioned the NICU, uh, which yeah. is newborn or uh, uh, neonatal intensive care, because my wife works in the NICU um, at Mass General Hospital, as I told you earlier, yeah. uh, when, we, when we first met. So, um, and I mentioned that to her, and she was she was pretty psyched about that because you know they they do see um, a lot of like really mysterious, like rare things that are not happening with these with these babies. And so that's you know that is just like really important work, really important work. And by the way, I also want to mention, um, I'll age myself, but um, I met Dan von Hoff um, probably it's gotta be almost 20 years ago and yeah. I'm familiar with his work at, at, out in Arizona. Yeah. Um, and he was like, at the time, he probably still is. He was the man in, in pancreatic cancer um, so, uh, research and he was a legend. And so it's yeah. really cool to think that he was, he had, a, he, he touched your life as well in your, in your training. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. He's still a great colleague. We had a, a zoom with him uh, yesterday in fact, and uh, you know, he brings us, um, you, you know, just terrific, uh, uh, new ideas, and, uh, and it's just terrific to work with him. He really is a he really is a living legend in oncology. And uh, you're right; it's it's uh, I'm very honored to uh, to get to work with him. And yeah. he's such a, a pragmatic and practical guy, and just um, uh, so um, thoughtful and, and and humble in everything he does. And uh, an, another person who you could um, look at and say, "Hmm, what what would Dan Bonhoff do here?" <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> Right. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, you know, you you touched on it, and this is this is something I, when we met, you you had you had talked to me about, um, you know, getting um, involved in the equity of cancer testing, and and yeah. people who know me, they know how this is a very important subject to me because I, and I'll say it again, I I believe that every every cancer patient deserves uh, access to you know genomic testing to see if there is a targeted treatment that could save their life. And I, I'd love to have you share with our, with my listeners, um, the story about, you know, 
you know, Mr. Gumbo and uh, the state legislature and how you said we should make a law. And um, I'll leave it at that and have you tell us the story. But I'd love to have you share, you know, what's going on with um, some of your work down in, in Louisiana on that topic. Yeah, health equity and, and, and particularly around around cancer and access is, is such a huge issue for us here. There are inequities here in Louisiana that have existed for, for generations. And, you know, what I explained to um, uh, uh, folks is that, you know, if you look at a map of um, uh, Louisiana between Baton Rouge and New Orleans and, and down to the Gulf uh, from the 18, 1830s or so, um, on either side of the Mississippi River, uh, every inch uh, was was divided into sugarcane plantations, and today um, much of that same corridor uh, is divided. Uh, uh, it's home to chemical chemical plants, and chemical uh, companies. It's called the uh, Louisiana's Chemical Corridor, and there are high rates of cancer in this area. Uh, many of the people who live in those communities are descended from the same slaves who worked on those sugarcane plantations, and. Uh, and, and, and many of those folks are, are some of the most disadvantaged um, uh, members of, of our community. And, and so it's extremely important to us uh, as, a, as an organization and, and, and you know, as, as a program to make sure um, that everyone has, has uh, great care and access to great care. Uh, some of the things that my organization are doing, uh, we um, partnered with Xavier University, a historically uh, black university that sends more um, African-American students to medical school than any other in, um, in the United States. And we partnered with them to build a, a center for health equity. Um, and uh, one of the other things we've done is uh, we've actually inve- are investing $100 million um, in, in this area to um, um, uh, address some of these concerns. Um, one of the ways we're doing that is by building community health centers in some of the most underserved areas. Um, and, uh, you, you know, in the, in the work um, that we are doing uh, as far as uh, bringing uh, uh, blood-based screening for cancer, uh, we want to really focus on some of these populations. Now, you mentioned, you mentioned a particular patient, and, and, and there was a particular patient, of course, this is all uh, uh, HIPAA-compliant HIPAA here, but I had a particular patient who, who, who would come in um, to us uh, with prostate cancer, and he he loved gumbo. He was uh, he he had perfected his gumbo recipe over <laughs> his entire life, and we always talked about gumbo when he would come in. He would about once a year he would bring uh, the whole clinic uh, gumbo seafood gumbo, and uh, and we all got to got to enjoy it. Uh, but that patient kind of went through all of the standard um, therapies, uh, and it was um, a situation. Uh, in which he really didn't have a lot of options. And we found that he had a particular mutation which indicated that a targeted therapy would work in his case. That particular th- target therapy is now approved for prostate cancer, but at the time it wasn't. The clinical research was there behind it. The data was there behind it. And we knew that if we could get that drug, if we could get him on that drug, he had a very high chance of response. Um uh, unfortunately, uh, because the official indication wasn't there, the insurance company denied this over and over and over again. We were finally able to get him on the drug through compassionate use, and it worked very well. Uh, but it took months um, um, in order to get that uh, get that going. Um, and you know, we realized at that time um, that this wasn't really fair for the for the patient, wasn't right for the patient, and we wanted to do something about it. And so I was actually approached. Um, by Chad Landry, who is a, a cancer survivor, a cancer advocate, a cancer fundraiser, 
uh, a financial advisor and, and just an upstanding member of our community. He also serves on our uh, foundation board here. Uh, he's a, a very uh, a young uh, uh, guy and has done a, an amazing amount of work um, in, uh, in, his, in his lifetime. And I was approached by him and, and Julie Stokes, who was a, a former legislator and a cancer survivor. And uh, uh, she actually had to quit um, her race for, for state treasurer um, when she was diagnosed with, uh, with cancer. And I was approached by the two of them and, and, and basically asked a question, can you think of any uh, legislation um, that might benefit cancer patients? Uh, we'd like to support something. And, you know, I immediately thought about this patient and, and told them the story. And I said, you know, what if we could have a, uh, a law that basically states that if um, you have no other option, if there's nothing better out there and you have a particular mutation that, you know, your insurance company covers, at least for a trial period, that a, a drug that's out there for that mutation. And if it works, they continue to cover it. And uh, so we built, uh, we, we wrote a law, we drafted a law that essentially did just that, um, that, uh, that mandated insurance coverage um, uh, for patients with cancer who had a particular driving mutation for which there is a drug out there available, but may not be available or indicated for their particular cancer. So it basically takes the tissue of origin, the tumor of origin out of the equation and says, look, we're going to pair um, driving mutations with targeted therapies um, uh, based not on tumor type, but based on the, on the, on the genes. And uh, we, uh, you know, we, we went to the state uh, legislature, we um, advocated for our bill. And I'm, I'm very proud to say that it passed unanimously through the House and the Senate. There wasn't a single um, no vote. And then we got to stand next to the governor as he signed the bill into law. That was two years ago. Um, uh, 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 Chad and Julie spun off a nonprofit um, uh, based on, on all of this work called the Cancer Advocacy Group of Louisiana. I'm thrilled to be a trustee of that group and, and chair the Scientific um, Advisory Board. And uh, because of uh, the work um, that we, um, we we did, we got a lot of attention um, and a lot of uh, cancer nonprofit groups uh, started coming to us. A lot of docs from around the state started coming to us and say, hey, we are, are very interested in what you're doing here. We would like to um, uh, be involved. And um, and so, um, uh, you know, we, we, we we grew as an organization. We expanded uh, very rapidly. And the next year, um, we took on um, a, a similar bill, which basically stated if you're a cancer patient in the state of Louisiana, um, you know, your insurance company has to cover cost of genetic testing, uh, genomic testing, whether that be next-gen sequencing, whether that be pharmacogenomics, whether that be whole genome sequencing. Um, those costs uh, have to be covered in, in, in part by your insurance company. And um we also, uh, that same year, uh, a surgeon from, uh, from Tulane, Dr. Corsetti, uh, brought forth a bill that um, mandated coverage um, in an expanded way for, for mammography uh, based not only on um, um, uh, just one size fits all, but based on individual patient risk, including race and other individualized factors that are very important in determining how often a patient should have advanced breast imaging. And so uh, we brought these bills to the legislature, and again, uh, we were thrilled um, when um, you know you know the uh, elected officials really stood on the side of cancer patients and unanimously uh, voted to support these new laws. And the governor signed them into uh, into law. And um, you know our, our, those two laws 
uh, with regards to mammography and to um, genetic testing in cancer patients went into effect uh, just uh, just uh, a little over three weeks ago. And so wow. uh, you know, they went uh, January 1st of, of 2022. And so, um, you know, those were uh, huge, uh, huge, huge wins for the cancer patients of our, our, our state. And I think it sent a big message that, uh, uh, you know, Louisiana wants to be a, a, a progressive place. And we want to uh, do whatever it takes to uh, make sure that, that the cancer patients here have the very best care anywhere. And so, um, yeah, I'd love to see those efforts, um, you know, expand on a national level or expand to other states uh, so that, um, you know, my colleagues outside of Louisiana um, don't have to face some of the same issues we did um, with regards to genetic testing or drug reimbursement um, for cancer patients. That's amazing. And, you know, I've been thinking about that ever since I met you, Mark, I've been thinking about why this isn't happening in other places or why shouldn't it be happening on a national level? And I, it bring, it, th- it makes me think of, um, I remember there was a, uh, uh, some, a member of the U S house of representatives, um, who, you know, had always, you know, defeated, you know, efforts to like expand things that you're talking about or, or, or spending for research. And so oh, if I take money from, you know, if we if we put more money into you know cancer research, then we got to take money away from the you know the oil and gas industry or whatever. And I'm like, and then as you know, someone in his family got sick mm. with with cancer, and all of a sudden he changes tune. It's like, why does it have to take a, you know something right. that happens you know to you personally to not care about other human beings, you know who are who are going through this and and not think of it as a zero sum game, right? right. Right, right, exactly, exactly, and um, you, you know, in, in, in researching all this, uh, what we found is that it, it really didn't cost a lot um, um, to to get these bills off the ground in terms of uh, you know insurance premiums are not going to uh, dramatically increase. In fact, they're probably not going to increase at all um, uh, by by covering some of these things. In fact, a lot of these things will probably decrease costs because if you get the testing up front and you know what drugs are going to work pro- you know best um, then you save yourself a whole lot of headaches on the back end so in many ways um, a lot of this uh, precision medicine will actually decrease costs in the, in the long run and, it, and it, it's difficult to, sometimes to in, envision I think um, uh, the sh- people people look in the short term right and so they want to see immediate results and, and well the results may may take a little time to mature, um, but but overall, we're probably probably saving a lot of cost uh, to do a lot of this. But, but I absolutely agree that um, cancer research is a, is a is a is a terrific investment, and uh, anybody that's been touched by it can certainly agree. But hopefully, it doesn't take being touched to uh, to to, uh, to to understand um, why why it's so important. Yeah, definitely, and I I appreciate you sharing the story about your work down there because I, I do believe it sets a great example, and it's really a uh, serving, you know, the, the, uh, the community of, of, of patients, uh, and, and families and caregivers, you know, in your, in your state, you know, to really make a difference. And so, you know, your, your example of, you know, boots on the ground that are actually, you know, you know, having a, having a big impact, you know, and I, I can talk all day long about how everybody deserves access to, uh, to genomic testing or, uh, targeted therapies. And, you know, we, we could spend, weeks talking about the barriers and why, why that doesn't, uh, that doesn't happen on a, on a regular basis, but I appreciate the, you know, the hard work of you and others. 
Well, well thank you. Yeah, and, and, and you, you know, you brought up a good point of well, why, why, you know, why isn't this more widespread? And uh, you know, I think we just kind of had a really great trifecta in, in in that you know, as a as a medical professional, I could not have gone to the state capitol and really made all of the um, necessary steps that that uh, were necessary to get this passed. I just I don't have that background. I don't have that. Um, knowledge of, of all the little technicalities and, and legalities that have to that have to happen, you know, when this committee meets and who to call for this and, and so on and so forth. But Julie Stokes did, you know, and uh, and so having somebody that really knew the ins and outs of the legislature and how to navigate that was so critical. Um, you know, what I brought to it was sort of the scientific knowledge and the medical aspect and the, and, and the patient um, impact. Um, but we also needed Chad Landry, um, who, you know, was our operations guy, our fundraiser, uh, the guy that could really make it happen, the business guy, you know. And, um, and so I think that that was a very um, important um, um, trifecta of all of us coming together, um, um, uh, the, the medical, the business, and then the legislative and uh, uh, it, it worked beautifully. It worked, it worked beautifully. And, 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 you know, I think if others, others um, look to um, copy, this, copy this model in other states, we, we'd love for them to do that. But, but I, would, I would absolutely uh, advise them to have uh, people that kind of know all those aspects because they're so important. Yeah, well, you had mentioned that, you know, when you went before these committees, you know, they were like, wait, you're a medical doctor? Like, because they're used to seeing lobbyists and all these other characters come before them, right? They see a lot of lobbyists. And I was very surprised in that, um, you know, we were told basically, wow, if a if a practicing doctor kind of took time out of his day and, you know, left his patients to come here to talk to us, we're going to listen because we know this is this is very important, and uh, yeah, that meant a lot to that meant a lot to me personally, and and but I think it meant a lot to yeah you know, the medical profession and and uh, uh, our, our patients to know that um, you, you know the folks um, in, in the state house really uh, really really did uh, understand. You know, they they really understood, and and many of them told us. You know, um, they had either had personal battles with cancer, they had someone um, that they were very close to or loved who had had a cancer battle, maybe lost their life to cancer. And, um, and, uh, uh, I mean, so few people are untouched by cancer these days, you know, and so they really got it. And, and all of them, whether what, regardless of what side of the aisle they sat on, they, um, were all uh, passionate and anxious to, um, to help us, um, in this endeavor. I love it. And yeah. I love the fact that, you know, it's, it's hard to stand up and vote against cancer, right? So, <laughs> very true. <laughs> so, yeah. But some people do, but uh, we won't yeah. go there. But um, right. listen, this has been fun. But I wanted before we go, I wanted to um, ask you. I, I, I love to ask all my guests, like outside of work. Yeah. Can you tell us something that you're passionate about, or that maybe people don't know about you? Gosh, yeah. Uh, so uh, my family, first of all, my, my my lovely wife, and I have two small kids at home. So uh, you know, my family, of course, is something I'm very, very passionate about. I'm also extremely passionate about architecture and history. Um, in fact, I've, I've written uh, three books about Southern uh, architecture and history. And so uh, I, I love that. And I have some friends outside of medicine who are um, you know, historians and architects. And so I love uh, getting together with them and, and chatting and working on uh, projects, whether it be historic preservation or a historical uh, uh, project. And I'm very passionate about art. In fact, I recently, during the pandemic, kind of rediscovered art. I 
um, spent a, a lot of my youth um, studying under various artists and 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 uh, taking painting classes and drawing classes because it was just something that I was I was very interested in as a child and my parents kind of got me involved in that uh, early on and, and I loved it. But um, during medical training, you know, you have to give up. You, you can't do it all, and you have to give up different things. And art was one of the things that um, that I had given up. And I always said I was going to pick it back up. And uh, I told my wife, I said, I'd love to get back to painting. I said, but, you know, we've got a, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old at home. And um, that could get really messy if I have uh, oil paints around, you know. Um, but um, I, I used to love to, to paint and draw with pastels. And so my wife got me a, uh, a set of uh, pastels um, during the kind of height of the pandemic uh, when we weren't um, – yeah, going out as much and doing you kind of the social things you normally do. And, uh, and so uh, I, I started, um, uh, you know, creating artwork with those again. And, and, and I just, I just love it. So usually uh, the routine is uh, I'm an early bird. And so I'm usually up before the rest of the family on uh, weekend mornings. And so uh, I run and grab my uh, pastel sets and some, and some uh, pads and, 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 and go at it. <laughs> so. Oh, I love that. You know, uh, the joke in my family is that, I love, I love early mornings on the weekends and, yeah. and I'm kind of a laid back guy. So I'm, I, I like to joke that I'm easy like Sunday morning. Yeah, and so, you, you know, <laughs> you know the song, right? So, Absolutely. Um, so I can see you, I can just picture you getting up early on a Sunday morning and, and getting the pastels out and, and uh, yep. just being creative. So that's yep. very cool. Thank you. Yeah, by the time family wakes up, I'm saying, look what I did. I had exactly, this. exactly. You get done more before everyone eats out of bed. So yep. uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Mark. And and really, uh, uh, Dr. Matrana, this uh, Matrana, this has been an honor to, to get to know you and to have you on the show. And I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for all the work that you do. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Take care. Thank you for your work. Mm-hmm.